Acts chapter 4, verses 5 through 22, and there are going to be some words in here that I'm going to mispronounce, so forgive me and just go along with me. All right, 5 through 22. Next day, the leaders, elders, and legal experts gathered in Jerusalem, along with Annas and the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others from the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and asked, by what powers or in what name did you do this? Then Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, answered, leaders of the people and elders, are we being examined today because something good was done for a sick person a good deed that, he that healed him. If so, then you and all the people of Israel need to know that this man stands high, highly healthily before us because of the name of Jesus Christ of the Nazarene, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is, is the stone which built rejected. He has become the cornerstone. Salvation can be found in no other, no one else. <clears throat> Throughout the whole world, no other name has been given among humans through which we must be saved. The council was caught up, was caught by surprise by the confidence with which Peter and John spoke. After all, they understood that the apostle was an under, uh, were un- Un what? Oh, okay, uneducated and inexperienced. They also recognized that, that they had been followed, followers of Jesus. However, since the healed man was standing with Peter and John before, before their own eyes, they had no re rebuttal. After ordering them to wait outside, the council members began to, to confer with each other. What should we do with, with these men? Everyone, lives in Jeru everyone living in Jerusalem is aware of the sign performed through them. It's obvious that everyone cannot deny it. To keep it from spreading further among the people, we need to warn them not to speak to anyone, anyone in this name. What they call Peter and John back. They demanded that, that they stop all speakings and teachings in the name of Jesus. Peter and John responded, it's up to you to determine whether it's right before God to obey you rather than God. As for us, we can't stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. They threatened them further, then released them because the public supports to Peter and John, they couldn't find any way to punish them. Everyone, everyone was praising God for what had happened because the man who had experienced the signs of hearing was over 40 years old. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Okay, all right, thank you. So it's good to be back in this building together. Uh, for some, it's the first time in this building. 
it is a little bit of a small step and maybe it feels like a really practical move. We took a survey and a lot of the survey results were uh, unsurprising about the ferocity of the heat in July in North Carolina and why it might be a good move to move into somewhere with air conditioning. But I also think there's something more going on when we come back into this building together, come in here for the first time, kind of what it means for us, whether we know it or not, and how we're always kind of participating in these object lessons that um, the, these, this performing of the faith, this, this way that, that God is working on us through our action. So when we started this church uh, in 2014, as, as Rach mentioned earlier, we, and I often like to say, we had a place and we had a building before we had a church. We knew where we were going to be and where we hoped to be for a very long time, learning how to be good neighbors, learning um, how to uh, kind of read the room well and, um, and, and what we were supposed to do and how we were supposed to be. And so we inherited this building, and I, I think every time we come in here, it reminds us over and over again, or if this is your first time in here, it, it educates you for the first time, um, just how we're joined into something that existed before us. And this is something like our faith uh, in general. It's something like the very world that we inhabit. We come into a world that we uh, are not responsible for making happen. God has already done that. God, the creator, created heavens and earth, and we merely inhabit it. Um, we come into this building, and we come into our faith, um, not as people charged with inventing it or even necessarily upholding or defending it, but as participants in this big family that has been here long before us. So read around the names on the buildings. You'll recognize some uh, Durham names, names of streets around us. You'll recognize some, some dates long ago. My favorite window is over here. It says, in memory of Reverend Wallace Hartzell and his birth and death date, and it says, twice our pastor. There's stories in these windows. I have no idea how you can be twice someone's pastor and if that was a, a kind story or not a kind story. Um, but we also came into this, this building and inherited the use of this piano that sounds beautiful, and I'm told from people that play piano, they love to play this piano. We've also inherited a building with leaky roofs, if you look around. I probably shouldn't uh, uh, draw attention to that. And everything that comes along with that, when you, when you inherit a faith, you, you step into a tradition that you didn't make, but you are uh, become a part of. And we also, when we, we came here, we, we inherited all these things. We stepped into this long story. I, I think there's probably so much faith just soaked into the walls of this building, so much singing and praying and sorrow and rejoicing. Uh, but we also got to start making things and doing things and doing new things. So before we did anything as a church uh, regarding like a public worship service or anything, before we did any of that, all those church things that churches do, uh, we planted a garden and we get the joy of, of gathering around that garden here in a couple minutes. And, and that garden was always a sign to us and to our neighbors that, that we wanted to be here for a long time. The first thing we planted in the garden was actually just cover crop. 
it was nothing uh, discernibly fruitful, but it was, it was to take care of the soil and to bring about flourishing in the future. You, know, you, you only plant cover crop if you plan on being here for the next several seasons, right? Uh, but, but it was also a sign to our neighbors um, that w w we weren't trying to initially plant a, a flag or a banner or a sign or a monument, but a garden, something for others, something to be gleaned uh, for all uh, in need, and, and also something to call folks into that sort of cultivating work together. So the first thing we did, we, we planted a garden. The second thing we did was we had a party. We, we had a big block party and we roasted a, a whole hog and we picked it completely clean. Uh, I met some folks who are vital to Oak Church now, six years later, at that party. Um, and, and again, today we, we get to participate and we get to perform that faith by having a garden party together as we move back into this space. Uh, it, the, the garden and the, the party, the block party, are, are part of, um, and, and then the little parties that we have each week, these potlucks that we're still trying to negotiate and hopefully we'll get back to a true potluck culture, are, are, are something like what Willie uh, Jennings talks about of, of, of cultivating spaces of shared desire and hope. That, that's what we're trying to do together is, as we worship and as we form community is cultivating spaces of shared desire and hope. So while a building or a place or a neighborhood doesn't necessarily do all the work for us, we, we definitely need to build into what God is building. We need to um, step into this call that, that God has issued to us and, and, and we do that by all of the, the kind of devotional practices that form us as people, things that, that we intend that don't just happen to us, but, the, but that we participate in, things like prayer and scripture study and fellowship and care and hospitality. But our, we realize with all these things together that our discipleship happens in our bodies that our discipleship happens not just by things that we learn and that get uploaded into our brains, but in the habits that our, our bodies get even more facile to, to produce. Uh, things that we do when we don't know what we're doing. Uh, instincts that the Spirit is created in us. So, um, so some, of, some of these thoughts are coming about by this book study that we're doing right now. Uh, we had our first meeting. You can still get in on this. This is kind of preaching the announcements, right? Uh, called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. As we walk through Acts together each Sunday, uh, a group of folks is reading this book about the early church, and the author contends, that, again, the title is The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. The author contends that patience is kind of the secret sauce for the early church. Throughout the first several centuries, uh, before Christianity became Christendom and before it became the religion of empire, it was just the way. It's kind of rustic and weird. <laughs> it was a ragtag, hodgepodge group of Jesus followers that were intent on living lives like Jesus. There, there are some, some interesting things. Even even though these people are outnumbered, even though they don't possess power, even though their neighbors often didn't like them or actively persecuted them, 
even though they were misunderstood and their motivations to the world weren't very clear, some were martyrs and some were just quiet, steady worshipers of God who focused on forming habits of community. Some of the ways this comes out in the, the story that are surprising is there, there wasn't a whole lot of evangelism literature, which we assume there might be because of the explosive growth of this church. There was instead a lot of just like manuals on how to be a community together that functions healthily. Um, when they read scripture, we think of texts like uh, the Great Commission, Jesus' last words in the Gospel of Matthew, and we think about how that gets mobilized as an evangelism text to make disciples out of the whole world, and it certainly is saying that to some extent, but the early church is instead reading that as a text about being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, learning this divine life that they are called into. We, we even find that uh, for their public worship gatherings, like something like this, instead of having greeters at the door, they would probably more have kind of guards at the door, making sure that you were a catechized, baptized, and safe person to come in, rather than someone trying to hurt or kill the group. And so uh, you can see a lot of the, the really uh, different mentality at play for this early church than what we often think of when we think of church culture or what it means to be part of a church. The, the, the whole goal, the whole approach was to form a, a habitus, to get the gospel into people so that then it would come out of them in their real normal lives. When, for instance, when they experienced a plague, with people these days never experience a plague, right? <laughs> when they experienced a plague, the, the, it was the pagans, their pagan neighbors who didn't worship God or Jesus, who would, who would kind of slip into this like stressing, worrying, that they hadn't appeased the gods, um, sort of kind of thoughts and prayers. Often it was kind of nationalistic, superstitious piety. Again, we've never heard of anything like that. Um, while it was the Christians who were going out into the streets helping vulnerable neighbors who were hurting in their midst. You can see their, their actions are communicating their true beliefs rather than the other way around. Uh, the picture I get is, 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 is somewhat like our history in this building. Their actions and their place are not just happenstance in how they live out their faith. They're not just optional tag-ons or they're not just like merit badges for people who are really serious about being a Christian or who have extra time. Every single one of these real life concrete actions is a theological statement. It is a, a God reality being lived. They worship the God who cares about the poor and who is at work. And by the Spirit, they get to work in comforting and healing. And, and they are out there comforting and healing, not in God's place. They don't have this Messiah complex, but they have like a, a Messiah vocation that they've received and they're still kind of finding out as they go. I loved um, Sarah's kind of experience and testimony of, of walking with doubt and, and, and asking questions and, and finding out that many of the questions that she um, has had or still has are questions other people have had or still have, and they're not nearly as scary when you say them out loud in community and in the, the safety of others. 
and, and how faith is this active, searching, exploring, discovering place where God meets you. So the early church, much like uh, us at our best, continues to meet Jesus on the way in brave but simple and often non-glamorous lives of work and worship. And others around them take notice. They want in, even though it's weird and restrictive and costly in a patient way because it is true in their lives. So I think we see that in this Peter passage today. The context of this, we've been walking through Acts, and there was this healing at the gate called Beautiful, right out in front of the temple. This guy who had been there, he was kind of a fixture, part of the wallpaper. People failed to continue to even see him because he was just going to be there. It's, it's the guy that, that you know when and how to avert your eyes so that you don't have to make eye contact and don't, poss- don't possibly have some sort of, of um, responsibility. That was this guy, and now he was healed, not by gold and silver, but by what John and Peter had to offer him. And it messed things up. They assemble a panel of religious leaders, elders, and quote-unquote experts of the law. Peter gets called before the people with power who parse and gatekeep the things of God. The healing is strange. It is wild stuff, and they want to make sure that it's in bounds, that it happened the right way, or that it was real. Maybe this is Peter's first run-in with these guys, and yes, they were probably all dudes. After all, it says that they were surprised at what he brings to the table, being uneducated and unrefined. Maybe he never really stepped that far out of bounds before. Maybe this is the first time he was a threat. Maybe it's the first time he was even a blip on their radar. But Peter is inspired with the Holy Spirit. And he gives a short sermon. I'm not sure we really recognize what he said as a sermon these days. He explains pretty simply that this whole thing that is happening is kind of a kangaroo court and it was silly. Can't they just accept and rejoice in this man being healed? In this new logic of the world, broken things are being mended to be made new. Betrayers are being brought back into the fold. Peter knew this really well. And the dead can be raised. If anyone's read some of the short stories of Flannery O'Connor, I think of the words of the misfit, and a good man is hard to find, and he says, Jesus was the only one that ever raised the dead, and he shouldn't have done it. He's thrown everything off balance. By raising the dead, Jesus has thrown everything off balance. So Peter's word catches them off balance. I think the passage shows us so much about the lived theology the things they hadn't necessarily worked out or systematized yet, but this lived theology specifically of justification, of judgment, of justice, all these words that are tightly clustered together in the Bible. Not in like an expositional or hypothetical way, but in a real-life way. Peter and John with him are here in the inspiration of the Spirit, having new habits and new ways of walking 
in and looking at the world, they're having these habits cut into their heads and their hands and their hearts. This is the way that Gerard Manley Hopkins says that Christ is now playing in 10,000 places, lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes not his, and it means that the just one justices, that, that you are a just one, one made just, one justified in your justicing action in the world. Peter has been judged and forgiven by Christ. Now he walks around the world as a justified man. This means he doesn't judge others. It also means that he stands before these quote-unquote judges, and he does so with like a non-anxious presence. He has nothing to prove and he has nothing to hide. His defense is neither defensiveness or boasting, but it's just the bare facts. This guy is healed by the power of the healed Jesus who heals. Rejoice, get in on the fun, don't get totally used to it because it is weird and it is wild. This is how justification that happened on the cross in the empty tomb looks like in everyday life. Weird I know, but powerful and real. Justification being knocked over and, and set sideways and now being set right. Just like this man who was knocked over and set sideways on the porch of the beautiful gate that is now leaping and dancing and proclaiming the, good, the goodness of God. As, as Karl Barth puts it, the, the judge was judged in our place and this frees us up for a non-judgmental life of justice. We get the time back that we would spend on judging ourselves or judging others, of creating distance between quote-unquote us and them, of erecting new walls and writing new laws to work with and to bask in God's justice and God's grace. God's grace and God's justice, they're often the same and inseparable. So you see this in Peter, who has been forgiven so much. He has his three times denying Jesus matched by Jesus's three times of saying, Peter, do you love me? Go feed my sheep. You have Peter standing in front of this council of religious and Roman judges as kind of the 2.0 of the Christ story. Remember Jesus standing before Pilate, never saying a mumbling word. It's in this assurance that truth can, that can live even if this whole thing goes sideways, and Peter reminds us that it did, they killed the author of truth, and Peter stands as a witness. When you kill the author of truth, God raises him from the dead. Do not be afraid. So he stands, as we also stand on this side of the resurrection, and he speaks with so much more confidence, it's shocking to them. He's got everything he needs, and he can't lose, even if he loses. This is what it means to be justified. This is what it means to be justified by both Jesus' death and resurrection, to be included in his death, along with the many ways that we fall and fail and fall under judgment, to have those old ways put away, to lay down our burdens, and to be raised anew with Christ, to be raised anew in Christ, to be given a new name, a new life, a new calling in this world towards justice. It's a justice already achieved. We're just 
catching up to it. It's a justice in the making. It's a justice that creates a new intimacy because the judging has been done. Sure, there's plenty of discernment to do, reading the signs of the times and reasoning together and attempting to understand what God's will is for us and where and how the Spirit is at work. But the judgment is over and has cleared the way for the work of justice to be done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the way the world, that's the way our neighbors, even our littlest friends, will know about Jesus. By looking at Jesus' set right people setting the world to rights. Just ones justicing. The disconnect between this concept and this lived reality, they're all over the place. And, and it, that disconnect feels like hypocrisy in our world and it's distressing and, and disparaging and has driven so many people away from the faith. I think one of the ways this, again, shows up uh, these days, and this is n not the only one, but one way is, is like a certain Christian opposition to things like, like um, uh, conversations about race and critical race theory, like any other tool. It can be unhelpful and excesses, and for some, CRT is like only having a hammer so everything looks like a nail, but it seems so strange and ironic to me, and maybe a tragic disconnect, that we can have a Bible that says, cleanse us of our secret faults, <laughs> Psalm 19, but we're also offended by the mere idea that we might have undiscerned racial biases, right? <laughs> so to be just ones justicing means like Peter to open ourselves up to and to be exposed to criticism, even self-criticism, not necessarily judgment, but certainly critique, and to pursue justice, to keep pursuing justice, to not look away even when it stings. Because remember, everything has been thrown off balance by Jesus' death and resurrection, and this resurrecting spirit of Repentance and recalibration means that, that, that it is always necessary and always possible to repent and to recalibrate, to rejoin in with what God is doing. It can never just happen in theory or theology. It always has to happen in the sort of practice that makes us perfect the way that God is perfect. This is the logical conclusion also to us praying over and over again, just forming the habits of praying like Jesus taught us. Forgive us as we forgive others. Like our forgiveness is wrapped up in the ways that we forgive. We meet Jesus on the way by forgiving over and over and we experience forgiveness by offering it. It's in the doing that we slip into the stream of God's grace. One, one last uh, short example. Of, of something that we're kind of in process. So it's not a, it's not a distant story that we can reflect on with, with uh, total insight, but this, this opportunity to, to come around this family from Myanmar. It came across our desk and it is so kind of unruly and ad hoc. We don't know what we're doing when we're ex examining the opportunity with a couple other churches in the area. We all were on this Zoom call and uh, we, we kind of got the details and the need and the urgency of it. And several other churches 
um, uh, with bigger budgets and more people and more experience than us, we're like, this sounds great, but it'll take several months for us to work through our committees on committees. And Oak Church kind of looked at each other like, if you don't like organized religion, that's okay because we're not that organized around here. And, 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 and the, the, uh, the, the kind of end point of that conversation was, it's good to the spirit and to us, like, let's do it. Like, of course, let's count the cost, but like we desire to be welcoming ones and welcoming ones welcome. And so we'll figure it out. We'll do this with some wisdom and we're not gonna get into, bite off more than we can chew, but, but we'll go first and we'll join with others and we're continuing to gather amazing, generous, and skilled partners and cobbling together uh, pieces, both in the congregation, just in the first several days, we were able to secure free housing for several months and uh, pledge for legal services and over $20,000 in pledges from other congregations. And we're continuing to build into this and we're gonna need all of y'all to, to step forward to, to, to do really practical things like help navigate buses and um, uh, acclimate a, a family from a very different place to what it's like to live in Durham over the course of this year and, and, and just being with uh, the, uh, the kids on playgrounds and, and, uh, and listening well to um, folks who uh, I can't imagine the sort of difficult journey that they have, but it is this idea that we're, we're going to start this in faith and we're going to learn maybe with fear and trembling how to be welcomers in the act of welcoming and and we're asking that god bless that and we're asking that you join into that so uh, i'm going to close uh, by praying and then gary will come and lead us in our prayers so that people will join our voices together Lord Jesus, we give you thanks. Thanks for the ways you challenge us. Thanks for the opportunities that are always coming to us to join you in your work. Open our eyes to that and give us courage and imagination to jump in. You've given us everything we need and you walk with us. You send your spirit to walk beside us. Uh, we give you thanks for um, the ways that you're, um, you're justifying us frees us up in this world to work with you for justice. We thank you for this community that you put around us, fellow learners, some folks who are a little ahead of us on this road and a little behind in the ways that we walk together with you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.